Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me this evening to take your questions are Devin Schutz from the Robert Group and independent analyst Jimmy Moyaha. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Jimmy, Devin, good evening to you both. Uh, Jimmy, if I may start with you tonight. There was a, a Bloomberg strap saying dollar falls to a 20-year low, which is incorrect. It, it was, in fact, the dollar coming down from a 20-year high. Um, so I'm not quite sure how they, they got one, that one wrong, but we all get things wrong. Um, uh, we are uh, the last to point fingers. But that seems to be quite a welcome relief for, a, for a, a, lot, a lot of participants in the market, specifically if you're in emerging markets such as ours. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look at the performance that we've seen from the dollar in recent times, and you look at the September highs that were reached on the dollar index, um, unprecedented highs, and it, it, it's, uh, it's been quite a difficult time for other currencies, not just emerging market currencies, but developed market currencies as well, against the dollar, um, with the dollar showing renewed strength time after time again. Um, I think the rate hikes as well have given the dollar a bit of strength uh, from, from the U.S. Fed. And I think at the moment, if we're looking at the inflation picture that's playing out in the U.S., and what the, the narrative is from the U.S. around the possibility of more uh, tapered rate hikes or slower rate hikes going forward. Uh, we have seen that since that um, rhetoric has come out of the Fed that uh, a, a softer approach has been taken towards the dollar. We've seen that markets overall have started to price in other things that they've needed to price in for the longest time. If you look at oil markets, they're starting to price in that um, Russia embargo that's coming uh uh, coming up in December now, uh, also starting to price in the slowdown in Chinese demand. So overall, markets are starting to uh, take into account a lot more factors that they need to deal with before the end of the year. And it is a welcome relief, as you mentioned, that um, the RAND is showing a bit of strength against the dollar and that the dollar is showing a bit of weakness against other currencies. Yeah. Although, Devin, of course, it didn't help us today very much because we still closed down almost a percent. Um, I don't know if there was anything in particular that uh, knocked us. I mean, process and NASPAS shares came off and um, they came out with a trading update after the market closed. So I don't know if anyone's had much time to look at it, but it doesn't look as if it's going to be, um, it doesn't look particularly good. And I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, if they're predicting a, a 52 to 59% slide in core headline earnings, I mean, do you think that's priced into the share or do you think that's going to come as a shock to everyone? Um, look, generally rule of thumb when companies re release these results after market close, it's usually not the best, best news. I, you know, try, trying to dig through the, these numbers now is a, is a bit complex. I, I, I think what you're seeing is that a lot of the underlying investments and the underlying investments in the 10 cent stable are, are struggling somewhat and lower profitability is being reported there. I think in terms of your question, how could the market react to this? Well, we, you know, the NASPERS process has had quite a tailwind recently. The, you know, with the, the gaming licensing coming back on recently in China, they have had quite a strong rally. So my concern is that this could be somewhat disappointing for the market. Mm. Um, we're going to have to wait till they open tomorrow to see. Uh, obviously, having such a big market cap on our market, it has an outsized effect. But I think if we pull the lens back to it and we look at, as Jimmy was saying, the environment we're in at the moment and the the strong dollar. My sense is we're probably late in the day for this 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 dollar strength, and you you know it will help commodities and commodity driven markets like ourselves, emerging markets. Should we see the dollar start to top and and weaken? 
But then, you know, you've, you've got news out today from China and the COVID worries are back. You know, they're having the concerns about lockdowns re-emerging after six months of slowly opening up there. Yeah. Um, China's the world's biggest oil exporter or imports, I should say. And so as a result, we saw oil come down significantly and couple that with a, you know, production forecast increase there um, or announcements, I should say. Yeah, oil, oil slipped as well. So a lot of moving parts in the day, notwithstanding the Naspersen process late enough. Yeah, no, exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean to hone in on that. Um, I, I mean, the Chinese reopening the post-COVID, it, it, they seem to have snookered themselves. It, it, you know, they, I mean, a zero COVID policy seems nuts to have begun with and then now to trying to extricate yourself from that. Um, Jimmy, do you think that's going to have sort of produced quite a few market convulsions along the way? I mean, Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at China, um, something Devin alluded to uh, just now around the, the fact that they're the largest importer of oil in the world. Uh, outside of that, China um, also consumes a large amount of luxury goods. We know that in the 2021 year, they were a huge part of Richmond's uh, business in terms of the goods that were sold there. And in this recent report that uh, Richmond reported around Cartier and other brands, they did report a slowdown in the Asia sector, particularly uh, centered around the Chinese lockdown. We know that the Chinese lockdowns also had a rab, uh, an impact on supply chain, uh, causing supply chain disruptions across various sectors, um, semiconductors, shortages, um, getting production out and that sort of thing. So the, the Chinese economy and the production related to the Chinese economy and that contribution towards the global economy is definitely something um, that paints uh, a better picture of where we can expect a lot of the demand space to be. We know that from an export perspective, South Africa, South Africa and other countries export uh, a lot of commodities to China. Um, and China does, of course, then, uh, if they're going to go back into a lockdown uh, sort of space and they're going to go back into more tighter restrictions, it's going to slow that down. And we might see uh, a slowdown on our economies and a ripple effect that way as well. Um, it's, it's positive, though, from a Chinese perspective to see that the Chinese government has for the time being sort of slowed down in their pursuit of uh, tech stocks and tech companies within the Chinese space. It's given them a bit of reprieve. We've seen um, it, it may have been a tactic to secure a third term by the current <laughs> president of China. Uh, but at this point, the, the reprieve is very much there. Uh, we're seeing stocks like um, Alibaba and Tencent actually benefiting uh, from the reprieve, not necessarily recovering as yet. Uh, there was significant damage that was done uh, when the tech the crackdown was imposed by China. So I think there, there are positives within the Chinese market, but there are serious concerns as well around demand, especially with the expected slowdown we're going to see coming through uh, Europe. We know that Europe's going to be focused on the energy crisis or averting energy crisis um, and trying to make sure that uh, the, the economies uh, stay afloat and the recession effects on certain countries are reduced. So yeah. I think the Chinese economy has a critical role to play at this stage, and it's not good to see that they're going back into lockdown. But having said that, I mean, you talk about the Richemont results. I was just thinking, if Richemont can produce results as strong as they were, without a major contribution from China, I mean, once it does open up, suggests that companies like Richemont or LVMH, I mean, you talk about any of the luxury goods companies, um, surely that's going to be a huge kicker for them, you know, if the Chinese economy does open up once it gets going, because these guys seem to be doing well enough without a huge con contribution from the sort of the traditional, I mean, not just Asia Pacific, but mainly China. I mean, Devin, do you think that's, that's a sort of a correct thesis to have on some of the companies um, 
that are, you know, in, I mean, and there's quite a few of them, Richemont, uh, LVMH I mentioned, um, the, the motor groups, any kind of company selling sort of uh, desirable products into China. Yes, I mean, I, I think there, there's definitely merit to, to that argument. I think some of those sales have moved online, although, you, um, you know, Richemont had a kind of a complicated, tricky deal going on there. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm, I'm always loath to label companies as defensive and, you know, luxury goods often does get that label. Uh, hospital groups also had that for a while before COVID. So, you know, you've got to be cautious with that. But, but yes, I mean, you're, you're seeing very inelastic demand for those goods. You're seeing them able to defend margin in very volatile conditions, even when, you know, the, the more affordable parts of the market start to fall away. So, so there, there's merit there. I think the Chinese consumer is massively important to those luxury goods groups and you know how much of that has migrated online i'm not entirely sure mm. but there's definitely some underpin and you know should that economy start to open up more and and grow more than you know the the moderated growth trajectory that's kind of been put forward now um they they stand to benefit but you know wrap all of that together still a, a really impressive set of results from the likes of richmond and the other luxury groups have also been appearing well uh, you touched on defensive stocks like Netcare, and I wonder if we can maybe chat briefly about the results that came out today. Um, I mean, they didn't seem totally brilliant, but the share price reacted very well. Uh, sorry, just very quickly, Devin, sticking with you, why do you think there was yeah. such a positive reaction from the market? Look, I mean, the, these these companies, I, th I think this spoken of pent-up demand for the elective surgeries hasn't hasn't quite materialised. You know, I don't think it's just simply a case of you didn't go for one and now you do, I think. You know, medical health's a lot more complicated than that. I, I think there's additional operating costs coming in. You know, they're, they're having to install and run huge generators. Um, I, I think some of their, their costs on diesel alone this year are up 400% or something like that. So I, I, I think it is still a, a difficult environment to operate in. I think the margins are slowly starting to um, improve, and it looks like they're getting back to those pre-COVID levels, uh, mental health cases are on the rise. But Jaleta, to, to answer your question, why the, the muted response in the market, I, th I think these businesses are just proving to be a lot more difficult to, to operate and command the margins that maybe they were pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, and so market's probably a little bit more cautious on them now. Yeah. Um, uh, Jimmy, what did you think of the, the, the Netcare numbers? Well, I think the the numbers were uh, rather positive. I mean, we saw profit uh, for the year up. We saw revenues up. Pretty much all of the metrics were in the in, in the green. Um, I think the reaction that we saw from markets is um, partly to do with, uh, as, as Devin mentioned, around the caution that's in the market. Um, but also, if you look at uh, all stocks, we're still not absolutely certain that um, stocks have started to bottom out at this point. We're still expecting um, that the bearishness will continue into the new year. We haven't got... Um, increased data points around uh, the stability or the responsiveness uh, of interest rate hikes towards inflation um, at a global level, at a macro level, but also at a local level in South Africa. And we know that we're anticipating that we still have some more rate hikes um, ahead of us in South Africa as well. And that's going to obviously affect um, consumer sentiment, consumer demand. It's going to put pressure on consumers. And the overall um, sentiment around stocks like Netcare, as Devin mentioned, is the fact that elective surgeries may be um, available again, but it's not as though consumers are rushing towards that. Consumers had to make adjustments uh, during the COVID time, during times where they were constrained um, from a financial perspective, and some may have had to reduce their 
um, medical aid offerings or their medical aid packages or their um, need for the particular elective sur surgeries that they were looking at. If you look at Medicare, for example, I mean, they, their share price um, peaked at about, uh, in, in about 2015 at about 45 rand. But if you look recently, we haven't really seen Medicare um, since 2020, since the pandemic started, um, anywhere near the 20 rand levels that it is at. It's at about 14 rand at the moment, 15 rand or so. Um, and we haven't really seen it go back to test uh, the 20 rand levels there. And that just speaks to the overall sentiment that um, has been there within the healthcare space that has been constrained. Medicine, uh, another example that has performed well, but the share price hasn't necessarily reacted to the numbers as we've expected. Yeah, and of course now they're being bought up by the, the majority owner, Remgro. I mean, I was also thinking that, you know, Netcare and Life Healthcare, unless they have very strong offshore operations, which Netcare no longer does, are at the mercy of um, an, an increasingly shrinking sort of taxpayer base in South Africa. They're at the mercy of immigration and, um, you know, a small demographic unless they can kind of be... Um, and, and Netcare's always pioneered these public-private partnerships. The Lesotho Hospital that they did was what they really wanted to do with healthcare in South Africa. Um, uh, you know, if you don't have an elective surgery base, <laughs> um, I, I kind of wonder what the prospects are for, for companies like Netcare and Life Healthcare. I mean, uh, Devin, do you think that's, that's maybe overly pessimistic um, to, to worry that they're not going to be defensive because there's just not enough people who have enough money um, to fill their hospitals? It, it's possible, Gillette. I think part of the, the argument you'd, you'd have to unpack there is how much do the private sector hospitals step in for government failures in public health care? You know, does, does, that does that trend increase? I think another factor to consider is daycare hospitals and are those competitors or do these groups set up their own daycare facilities, which, which is gaining in popularity and and usage for, for a lot of the smaller procedures. So I, I, I think what, what they've got is a, a really difficult environment that they need to navigate fairly well. Um, yeah, Netcare is facing the domestic economy now almost entirely. So yeah, I, I think when, when considering an investment there, you've got to make um, decisions based on a number of those, those factors of which, yeah, the, the, the dwindling population and you know, competition from other places are two of them. Um, and there was a question that came through a little bit earlier on EOH. Uh, it is, if I can pull it up, um, sorry, <laughs> um, having said that, uh, when is EOH going to bottom out and start rising again? And is it still a viable business? Jimmy, what do you think? Well, share prices at three rand. So, I mean, bottoming out is going to happen if it hits zero, realistically speaking. Um, it's still a far cry from the 180 rand highs we saw around 2017, 2016. Um, I think the, the, there's been a significant amount of damage that's been done to the EOH um, share price and the EOH business. Um, and, and overall investor sentiment and investor uh, confidence around the EOH brand. I think um, at this level, um, at three rand, there isn't much lower for the share price to go. Um, those that do believe that the stock will recover and have a resurgence there, um, it, it's worth, it might be worth a punt to take at this point, given that your downside risk is so limited. Um, but I think at this point, EOH has been through enough um, in the news, out of the news. They've, they've gone through quite a bit of the business, and that's really taken its toll on the share price um, and on the investor sentiment around it, of course. Mm. I mean, I suppose I have a slightly different view. Maybe, I, you know, having spoken to Stephen from Colour, I, I don't want to sound like a corporate stooge, but I think that they have cleaned out the business in a, in a way that was incredibly thorough and transparent. Um, and they have retained 
a few clients and you know they seem to be writing new business i mean the last set of results he was talking about actually making an investment for growth which is the first time that they've been able to do that in years um Devin, i imagine that you know i mean jimmy you know says i mean as he says it's below well two rand 99 today so which is a bit horrifying if especially if you bought at seven rand 50 and you thought that you know um it was on the up um but i suppose part of the issue is the capital raise that they have to go through and we're not quite sure at what price that's going to take place i sort of wonder if today's move is not indicative of but rumors out there that it's going to be at these levels yeah i mean i think that that's the worry when you're raising capital when your your share price is you know under such downward pressure um and an equity raise really just becomes massively dilutive i think they've got to raise around 600 million um 500 of that the right this year and 100 to a um a bee deal Gillette, it's so, it's so tough when shares are in, in this situation. I mean, it, there, there are some merits to what the, the, the business now looks like, the structure it is. Uh, I think Stephen's done a fantastic job considering the, 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 the sprawling and, you know, really kind of creaking structure that it had previously, um, you know, notwithstanding all the issues in some of those subsidiaries. It, the, these you've honestly just got to wait and see where they go. There's there's such negative sentiment against it. Raising capital, will that capital be able to arrest the decline? Um, time, time will tell. I think it's just you know it it is risky to go in at this stage. Hopefully the market gives them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But yeah, at at this stage, unknowable. Yeah, unknowable. I mean, there's there's you know there's either it's the the Tongart route that's that's the route that they go, or they could go the Omnia or the Supergroup route. Actually, you know, I mean, Supergroup didn't have the same right. fraud issues that that EOH had had to contend with, but it was also completely bombed out, had terrible debts, had to had do these rights offers, and then. I mean, but it did take a long time, like 15 years. <laughs> so, so you've got to be patient. So I suppose there's other places to put your capsule in the meantime. Um, there's a question on Sun and Sun, I suppose. Uh, are we talking about Soho? Uh, yeah, previously Soho. Um, currently uh, at where it's trading, is it worth a punt? Jimmy, what do you think? They came out, well, uh, Soho came out with a trading statement, so I'm a bit confused if it's Southern Sun or Toho, um, or if it's the hotels or the gaming side of the business. Uh, Toho released a, a trading update today saying that um, we can expect that they'll release the results around the 24th later in this week. Um, we do know that the, the, there's still that amalgamation of the brand. Southern Sun name is taking over the hotel side of things, um, but it all still is one uh, big happy family. In terms of the Toho Sun share, I have been um, quite bullish on the share for quite some time. Um, but I, I mean, the, the share price has seen quite a significant rally uh, from uh, low levels where it was. I mean, right now, share's probably at about 12 rand, um, still a long way off from where we've seen share prices in the gaming space sort of perform. And of course, the, the demand is going to be a big thing around um, going, going forward. I think what's positive for Sokosan Gaming um, and for the other stocks in the space is probably looking at the fact that lockdowns uh, ended when they did in South Africa, and we haven't really gone back into that sort of thing that's allowed the businesses to rebuild, uh, reopen, return to capacity, and that sort of thing. I mean, the trading update that they announced today, they're expecting that earnings per share is going to be up between anywhere between um, 99 and 112%, and um, headline earnings per share is going to be up anywhere between 78 and 94%. So that's a sign that um, they have started to return back to achieving revenue numbers that uh, look more attractive for the company and for uh, the business. 
I think going forward, it would be something to uh, consider holding if those uh, if individuals aren't holding Sohosan in, the, in their portfolios at the moment. Um, but I've been quite bullish on the stock for quite some time. Yeah. Devin, how do you regard them? Because you've got the two options, the, the, the gaming group, uh, which is what the, the, the 12 ranch and then the Sohosan Hotels, which is the 4 and 44 yeah, mm-hmm. share. Um, would you buy both? Would you, do you prefer one over the other? Uh, Look, I I mean, I think the sector in general, we're seeing a really strong normalization from those COVID lockdown um, times that Jimmy was was speaking to us about. I I think my my choice is probably more in the leisure, so on the the hotel side. I think what was very impressive is they came through that tough period and and they really just took an axe to costs. And these businesses, both both of them, are in fact lean and meaner probably than they've ever been. And so as the, that top line grows, so you're starting to see the the, the the earnings just just drop to the bottom line. So yeah, both both in much better shape, rallied hard, but my, my sense is probably quite a way to go still. Um, what about Barla World, Devin? Sticking with you, they came out with results today, which seemed very decent, uh, and then yeah. they also announced the um, the unbundling, which has been long in the making of the the Avis car rental and and, and budget rental business. Um, you're going to get one what one chair in Zida, which is what it's going to be called for every one Barla World chair held, right? Um, how yeah. do you think this is going to go down on the market? Yeah, well, I mean, remember what, what Barlow World's been trying to do, you know, over the, the recent while is consolidate their, their portfolio, move to kind of more asset light, less cyclical businesses, uh, more cash generation there. So, you know, moving away from the motor type industry. So it makes make sense that I, I think they were looking for a buyer of, of Avis. This is now, um, I, for whatever reason, it seems to have fallen through. So so now unbundling it, which is fine, shareholders get to, to choose in that regard. Um, the, the acquisitions of uh, Mongolia and Ingrain seem to be tying more into their, their kind of non-cyclical strategy now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a decent set of results. You know, shareholders have been benefiting from a share buyback scheme. Um, you've got a really healthy special dividend being announced today as well. So, you, you know, I think for, for a business that is, is prone to the, uh, kind of the swings and roundabouts of the markets that they serve. They're doing a, a, a lot to really try to smooth that, that journey. And, and I think as a result, you're seeing very, very um, pleasing signs coming through. Their EBIT margin is up, their return on capital, which, which speaks to their capital allocation skills, um, jumped significantly in these results. So, so yeah, I think, I think overall good in terms of you know, the Avis listing um, or the Zeta with a, an A now that we've got instead of an ER. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to wait to see yeah, the, 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 the pricing of that. Um, yeah, but, but the, at this stage, I, I think Barlow World's doing what they set out to a number of years ago. I mean, Jimmy, I'm quite curious as to the performance of Barlow World's share price because it's still well off its highs of recent highs, well, over a one-year period, and yet it's delivering the goods. I mean... You know, it was 150 rand this time last year. It's now 107 rand, and yet the results are good. As Devin said, they they're doing what they set out to do. I'm su- surprised the market seems relatively to have ignored them. Well, I think it's 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 not necessarily so much about the market having ignored them, but um, more around 
um, the sentiment within the market, um, overall sentiment still showing that equities are under pressure. Some equities are still trading at a discount, uh, at, a, at a very attractive discount at that as well. You must remember that Barla World also uh, finalized the um, sell-off of its logistics business. And, and as David mentioned, they, they started to move a lot of their business and they, they focused into getting rid of what they, they considered as non-core going forward and focused on where they wanted to take the direction of the business. And obviously that sort of readjustment comes with um, some share price movements and some share price volatility. It's impressive to see that Barlow World able, has been able to sort of um, weather the storms that they've been able to weather. I mean, if you look at that 150 rand uh, share price, as you mentioned, that it was as, um, as far back as January of this year, they've dipped down to almost 80 rand a share and they're recovering their back above 100 rand a share. And so that speaks to the resiliency of the business and the, the business's ability to continue going forward even amidst um, the tough uncertain times that we've got. And now that they've gotten rid of what they've considered to be things that they want to remove from their immediate uh, portfolios and, and to um, unlock value for shareholders, it really just strengthens the business um, proposition going forward and offers more value to existing Barlow Hall shareholders yeah. going forward to say they've now got existing exposure to things like the Zeta side of it, but they're also not going to be um, at the at the mercy of logistics businesses if they don't perform well cyclically or um, businesses like Zeta if they go through a cyclical dry patch. So yeah. um, I think the share price has been resilient and has been able to hold on and we're seeing evidence of that. Yeah. Okay. I've got just under two minutes left. So for both of you, for the, the stock picks. Uh, so Jimmy, sticking with you, what's, what would you be buying at the moment? Um, very difficult, but going back to something I gave out uh, about seven or eight months ago is Sophie Technologies. Um, if we look at where we're pinning the financial markets uh, or the financial stocks uh, into 2023, uh, there's uh, uh, sentiment around the fact that we could see U.S. Um, financial stocks rally about 13% for 2023 and probably about 8 to 10% in 2024. Um, they're very, very big service-oriented business, and where Sophie differs from their other competitors at this stage is their loan origination have gone up where other competitors have gone down in this time. They're trading really, really uh, affordably at the moment at about $5.00. Um, way off of the $25 highs we saw in, tw in November of 2021 this time last year. So very good upside potential there. Okay, sorry, just remind me of the name of the company because I didn't get it initially. Sophie Technologies. Sophie Technologies, okay. Okay, um, Devin, how about you? Um, it's one, one I recommended a couple months ago. It turned out I was a bit, bit earlier on that. This is US <laughs> Treasuries. Um, investors can get it through the iShares long-dated ETF, TLT is the code there. And, you know, what we've seen this year, Gillette, is just an unprecedented sell-off in these fixed-income instruments. I mean, the 60-40 portfolio in the U.S. has its worst performance on record. Um, now we, we seem to have been reaching the peak in inflation with the last print out of the, the U.S. It looks like, although there's still a lot of hawkish talk around, that the Fed will ultimately pivot when, when that happens, um, these treasuries stand to benefit significantly. And my sense is that they will recover faster than maybe other asset classes like equities and have strong total return potential. Right. We have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, Devin, Jimini, thanks very much for joining us this evening. Nice to chat to you both. Uh, Devin Schutz is from the Robert Group and Jumui Moyaha is an independent analyst and Zanati's back. Uh, actually, actually, she's not. I am back with Stockholm tomorrow night. Uh, so do tune in then. And in the meantime, have a good evening. Thank <laughs> you.